Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast, a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is season six, and we are currently studying through the book of 1 John. We're on the second part of 1 John this week. We're looking at verses 11 through 24. Last week, we talked about the fact that we are the children of God. We looked at the fact that as the children of God, we are not to be living in sin. Of course, uh, one good definition of sin would be a one-word definition, lawlessness, as we talked about last week. And uh, also, we saw descriptions of those who are righteous, those who are the children of God, versus those who are unrighteous, those who are the children of Satan as well. This week, we are going to look at love that we are to have for one another as brethren, and how to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, as far as as far as uh, loving God and loving one another. So we'll begin in verses 11 and 12 of First John chapter 3, the message heard from the beginning. Verse number 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, if you remember back in chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, we talked about a new commandment, in a sense. It is a new commandment, in a sense, but not a new commandment, as John says. In another sense, we hearken back to a time when Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Was it new? Well, people of God have always been taught to love one another, but it was a new reminder for them. It was new in, in the sense of being fresh, something that we need constant reminders of. We need to love one another, and so it is new in that sense. Now, verse number 12 here is going to show us that uh, there was an example of somebody who evidently did not love his brother. So verse 12 says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do you think that Cain ever told his brother that he loved him? I bet at some point in their lives, it's likely, it's possible that Cain had told Abel that he loved him at some point, but did he really love his brother? Well, the answer would be no. At least somewhere along the way, he stopped loving his brother, we can can uh, rightly assume, and he let his jealousy take over, and he ended up murdering Abel. Did you know that if you have hatred in your heart for somebody, you might as well have committed the sin of murder. Essentially, it's hating someone is just as evil as murdering somebody. Now, I realize there are different consequences for hatred versus murder, sure. But as far as the sinfulness of them, both of them are equally sinful. Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Being angry without a cause, um, which often leads to the sin of, of hatred, these sorts of things are... Uh, evidence that someone does not love his brother, and, and there's equal condemnation in uh, 
that situation from Jesus as well. So we have to remember this. We truly need to love one another. We don't need to allow the bitter seeds of of anger to sprout in our hearts to the point where they eventually become hatred uh, in our hearts for our brethren. Sometimes those temptations are there. Uh, We need to understand that there's going to be Christians that maybe we don't get along with. Maybe we've got personality conflict with them. They might even be our enemy, so to speak. But even then, we're supposed to do what with our enemies? We're supposed to love them, aren't we? That's what Jesus said. And so that's what we must do. Now, verses 13 through 17, uh, further evidence of being the children of God. I've heard it said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a powerful thought. Let's talk about some evidence. Verse number 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Okay, so we've got our grand jury here, and piece of evidence number one is we're trying to convict a Christian. This man must be a Christian because the world hates him. We are not to be surprised if the world hates us. Why? Because the world hates Jesus, and a servant is not greater than his master. And so if the world hates Christ, then what does that mean? That means that the world will hate us as Christians as well. You can look at John chapter 15, verses 18 and following. Verse number 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. All right, jury, piece of evidence number two. Not only is this guy or girl hated by the world, as you can see, but somehow this person turns around and loves people so much that he or she must be crazy. You look at how much this person loves people. Well, John says that we know that we have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life because of our love for the brethren. Certainly, we need to love other people as well. You simply cannot experience firsthand the love of God that he has for us by being saved and not love people who also were created by God. You see, if if we understand the love of God that he had for us, and we understand that as we are of the saved, as we're Christians, and we have that understanding, then we also should understand that we must love uh, others, uh, especially uh, the brethren in the household of God. And also, you think about it, we need to love those others for whom Jesus died as well, and he went to seek and save those who were lost. A world full of hateful people has a hard time understanding that. Evidence. Is there enough evidence to convict you? Let's keep reading. Verse number 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In case John and Jesus, for that matter, weren't clear enough earlier, John spells it right out here and says that hatred is just as serious as the sin of murder. It's human nature, I suppose, to try to rank sins. Uh, We really shouldn't do that, but I know that people tend to do that. Murderer is usually pretty high near the top of the list, isn't it? But how many people would put hatred right up there with it? especially keeping in mind that it is very easy to let our feelings take control and actually we begin to hate people that have done us wrong. Well, this mindset is going to cause some people to be in hell one day 
John says that hatred equals murder, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, but uh, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. All right, jury, piece of evidence number three. Would you believe that this crazy person said that he would be willing to die for his brother in Christ? Clearly, he must be a Christian. Clearly, you must convict. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus had that deep kind of love for us, and he wants us to have the same kind of deep love for one another as well. Verse 17, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? This is a very challenging verse, and this is something that Christians are not supposed to do. We're not supposed to shut up our uh, heart of mercy and what have you from someone that is in need. If we see someone that's in need and we don't uh, help them, we we just kind of look the other way, we pretend we don't see them, then how does the love of God dwell in us? I'm reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Along comes a priest, along comes a a Levite, and they just kind of look the other way, and they ignore the guy who had been beaten and robbed. Then the Good Samaritan comes along, and he takes care of him. Not only does he take care of him, but he rides him into town and uh, takes him to an inn and pays for him to uh, be taken care of by the innkeeper and then says, if there's anything else he needs, take care of it, and I'll pay you when I return. That is uh, illustrative of of true love for one another. Again, 1 John 3, verse 17, this is such a challenging verse. Sometimes I think about this when I see somebody in need. I think, you know what? I have the ability to help that person. Therefore, I need to help them. Now, uh, we should not be holding back, keeping back money or or things uh, for ourselves selfishly while people around us suffer. And we have the ability to to help, but we choose not to. Uh, It is true that we can't help everybody. That's true. But we certainly can help somebody. And many of us, if we're being honest, we probably have the ability to do a lot more to help people uh, than perhaps we are. And so we need to let First John 3, verse 17, make sure and challenge us and hopefully uh, prompt us to do more as Christians to help others. Stinginess, greediness, it's going to keep a lot of people out of heaven. And so we need to make sure and not idolize that green stuff that we have in our wallets, right? Uh, the money and the things that it can buy. Jury members, as you can see, there's something clearly wrong with this guy. There's something clearly wrong with this girl. He gives away all of his money. Well, not all of it, but he gives away money. Or uh, she gives away money to help people. Even when it costs this person greatly and puts this person to perhaps a disadvantage, still, this person sacrifices to help other people. You know, she's made great sacrifices in order to help those around her. What in the world is wrong with her? What is wrong with him? Who does that? Clearly, he or she must be a Christian. Convict them. If you were on trial again for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence 
to convict. Finally, verses 18 through 24, we want to look at the idea of love in deed or in action, as well as in truth. This is where we put our money where our mouth is, so to speak. We don't just say that we love God and love one another. We prove it by the way that we live our lives. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just pay lip service to loving God and loving others, but actually love God and others in deed, in our actions, and also in truth, uh, not being fake with our love for one another. I guarantee you a person who volunteers at a homeless shelter, that person loves people. I guarantee you that a person who volunteers uh, for Habitat for Humanity or whatever it's called, uh, something like that, building houses for those who are less fortunate, that person loves people. I guarantee you a person who volunteers for the Big Brothers, Big Sisters or or something like that, or maybe CASA, uh, volunteering to be a court-appointed special advocate for children or foster parents, uh, things like this, I guarantee you that that person loves people. And I guarantee you a person who volunteers out at the nursing home or uh, for Meals on Wheels type programs, I guarantee you that that person loves people. So the question becomes, Christian, everyday Christian, are you doing anything like that for others? And it doesn't have to be those sorts of things. There are many different things that we can be doing. Uh, We had a a giveaway day where it was basically like a free garage sale uh, here in uh, Marietta, Oklahoma last year, and that was a great success. We had a ton of people show up and, and get some things that they needed. Are we doing anything like that? Or are we consumed with just ourselves, just our schedules and our day-to-day grind and our stuff and our families? And is that all we're concerned with? Or are we actually trying our best to look for opportunities to help people in our community? Show them the, the love of Christ. Show them the light of the world that we're supposed to be. And just maybe, just maybe we might have some opportunities to evangelize those folks as well as we're helping them. You know, the work of the church, edification, evangelism, and benevolence. Benevolence and edification should feed into the evangelism that we so often speak of that we want to do. Verse number 19, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We know that we are of the truth if we love God and love people in action. As James says, being doers of the word and not hearers only, taking care of people. Jesus talks about this in the end of Matthew chapter 25. He talks about, I was hungry, and you gave me food, or you didn't. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, or you didn't. Paraphrasing this, uh, I was naked, and you clothed me, or you didn't. I was sick, or I was in prison, and you visited me, or you didn't. See, Matthew chapter 25 teaches that that's going to make the eternal difference on the day of judgment. Are we doing these sorts of things? Are we reaching out to those around us, trying to help people when we can? We need to put our faith into action. Verse number 20 and 21 as well, it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Speaking of assured hearts, sometimes 
in Christians, little doubts still arise. Well, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Brethren, we can know that we're saved based on the fact that we've obeyed the gospel and we're living the way that God has asked us to live in his word. We can have assured hearts. We can know, okay, I'm living right or I'm not. That's the idea of verses 20 and 21. Verse number 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is not the prosperity gospel being preached here. But that said, there are blessings that come uh, in living the way that God wants us to live. And we have promised in the word that he's going to take care of us. I'm reminded of Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the different things that we have a tendency of worrying about in this life, God says, look, the things you need, I'll take care of them. Make sure you seek first the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of the, the Proverbs. There's lots of Proverbs that talk about the blessings that come with living a righteous life in God's sight. I'm reminded of how uh, even a sparrow can fall to the ground, and uh, God will notice that. Certainly, he knows uh, the things that we need as well. Verse number 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So two big things that are part of faithful Christianity, two broad things, and all the other stuff falls under these things. Being a believer in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, if we are believers, what will we do? We'll obey his gospel and we'll live faithfully to it. So being a believer in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and also loving one another. If we get these two things right, then we're going to be getting the other stuff stuff right as well. Finally, verse number 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Don't forget the concept of abiding with Christ. We talked about that recently. Uh, It's the idea of not just visiting, but actually staying. So if I were to say I'm coming to your house for a visit, you might say, well, come on. We'll uh, we'll make an extra seat at the table for you. But if I were to say, I'm coming to your house to abide with you, you'd say, uh, we need to talk, buddy, because you can't abide at our house. So we understand the difference between abiding and just visiting. Abiding is the idea of remaining. And we have to remain on the side of Christ if we want Christ to remain on our side. Again, this plainly teaches against the idea of once saved always saved. Everyday Christian, the listener of this podcast, is there enough evidence by the way that you're living your life? Is there enough evidence, especially when it comes to the love that you have for other people in this context, to convict you of being a Christian? I certainly hope that there is. Next chapter, chapter four, we'll get to next week. We're going to talk about discerning of spirits or discerning of the doctrines that they teach, if you will and some other matters as well as we can continue our study of First John. Tune in next week to the Everyday Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. 
May God bless you.